This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, Chris Canny and Shea Cornette. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We're streaming on E Plus as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Chris Canny99 at Shea Pepler. And Shay, I know we've got some woge bombs to get to. We've got the Super Bowl opening night festivities behind us. I'll plenty to react to, but I think there's only one place that we have to start today's show. As some of you may have heard, Mike Golick Jr. has left ESPN Radio. He is now moving on to other ventures, and we wish him the best in all of his endeavors and everything that's to come for him. He's super talented, and from a personal standpoint, having worked with him for the past six months, I got to say he's the consummate professional, and he's the ultimate teammate. He will be missed, Um, but I want to wish him well, Shay because he's somebody that's super talented, and and more so than that, he's just a really good person. And so we're going to miss him at being a part of the ESPN family, but we want to wish him well in whatever's to come. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Canty. I mean, um, he not only a colleague, but also a dear friend of mine and my husband who also works at ESPN, and he will truly be missed. His energy, his knowledge, his jokes, uh, all the things, and I wish him absolutely nothing but the best. All right, so let's let's get it going. Um, after we sent Mike Golick Jr. the farewell, the send off, we got to get into the Woj bombs. All the bombs. We got to get into all the bombs. But I think the one that kicked it off today was the big trade that the Pelicans and the Portland Trailblazers pulled off. The Pelicans sending four players and a 2022 top four protected first round pick, along with two second round picks, to. The, the Trailblazers for the services of C.J. McCollum. Now, of course, the Trailblazers included Tony Snell and Larry Nance Jr. Jr. to make the money match with this trade. But this is clearly a move where Portland continues to reshape their roster. They're clearing a little bit of cap space with this. But we know that a few days ago they made the trade with L.A. Clippers and sending Norman Powell and Robert Covington out to L.A. as well. So, Shay, just your initial reaction when you saw – that the Trailblazers were making this move and trading C.J. McCollum, an all-star caliber player. Yeah, during the summer, I believe I was on this show uh, somewhere on the ESPN radio family, and I thought this was going to happen sooner rather than later in terms of trading C.J. McCollum. Look, he's a fantastic player. He's not enough. It was inevitable um, in Portland. Just having him alongside Damian Lillard, they couldn't get it done. We saw that time and time again. They had made the playoffs eight consecutive seasons. They were bounced in the first round three of the last four years. It's just not enough, especially when Damian Lillard is the star there in Portland, and he wants to win a championship. You saw how upset he was this past year. It's not going to happen again. There are rumors of him leaving Portland. Maybe he's loyal to a fault. But now, as you mentioned, Canty, this clears a ton of cap space. According to Woj here, it created a $21 million trade exception today, potentially $60 million in salary cap space that they could use this summer. And so now you can go out and you can potentially sign one of those big-name free agents, whoever that might be, and and build truly around Damian Lillard and what his vision is going to be going forward. NBA, very much so a player-driven league. And now Damian Lillard can kind of drive the ship in Portland. Now the question is who's going to go to Portland, I guess. But to me, this was inevitable. Yeah, and that's the huge question. Who's going to go to Portland? That's the thing that I I try to wrap my mind around because Portland has historically not been a free agent destination. And then when you look at the list of prospective free agents this summer, I mean, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, all of those guys are player option guys. Then you start going on down the line with Zach Levine and Goran Dragic guys of that ilk and Shay I struggle with trying to figure out which one of those players is going to vault 
the Portland Trailblazers, along with Damian Lillard, into Western Conference contention. I just don't see it. Now, I, I'm sure that this is not the last move that, that Portland's going to make because, again, they have a ton of flexibility now when they're adding this draft capital and adding cap space. You're always going to be able to maneuver, but I just question whether or not this is a, a, a play to try to retool around Damian Lillard or whether this ends up being a very difficult conversation with the front office and coaching staff from the Trailblazers with Damian Lillard this summer that they're going to have to move off of him. Because from what I've heard from people in NBA circles is that Damian Lillard is not going to request a trade. He's not going to demand a trade. So it would take the organization having to go to him and try to see if he's amenable to being moved somewhere else to bring back assets, that young assets, that that team could continue to rebuild around, recognizing that they're probably nowhere close to championship contention. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Damian Lillard, although, you know, injured uh, at, like, the All-Star game, trying to recruit some dudes, <laughs> chomping, it up, so chomping it up a little, trying to flirt a little, be like, feel a little, bit, some people out. Um, at the end of the day, I, I don't, do you need James Harden? You certainly don't need Russell Westbrook to go to, to Portland to kind no. of figure this thing out. Like, maybe you take the Milwaukee approach, right? Like, yeah, this isn't L.A., it's not Chicago, it's not New York, but, like, Right now, New York ain't winning. Chicago's first in the East, but they've got some injuries. They can't stay consistent. LA's got their own set of problems. Like, let's build something here in Portland and do the unthinkable. Like, that needs to be Damian Lillard's pitch. Like, let me get back to Dame time, and then you can be my accomplice. Like, he's just got to feel out the league. I don't have the right answer as to who you could plug and play because, quite frankly, you can't trust Kyrie Irving. I have no idea what's going on with James Harden, and to me it feels like he rides a roller coaster. I can't bring myself to talk about Zach Levine. So, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. So, uh, uh, all these things considered, I I think you'd want to go the Milwaukee route and build a little more under the radar kind of team and see if you can build around Damian Lillard and what his skill set is, according to Woj. Yeah, well, here's the one thing I will say, and I think the point of difference between Portland's situation and Milwaukee's situation, I get it. You had Giannis, a a two-time MVP guy that you surrounded with Justin Holiday and with P.J. Tucker, um, a bunch of guys that that were veteran players. Chris Middleton, another all-star caliber player. You surrounded him with a bunch of guys that complemented his skill set but I think the depth is what separated Milwaukee from what we're talking about with the Portland Trailblazers. Now, part of the cap space that they cleared with the last couple of trades that they made over the course of the last week was in part to re-sign Anthony Simons, a young and up-and-coming player that they'd like yeah. to keep around. Right. He's going to be a restricted yeah. free agent this summer. So they've got to keep him in Portland as well. But I, I think the biggest difference is what ends up happening with the depth on this team. And if Portland's being honest with themselves – Can you put yourself in that territory with the Phoenix Suns, with the Golden State Warriors? Hell, even the Memphis Grizzlies at this point, are you you on that level? Can you get to that point? I don't know that there are enough moves out there to be made that they can. Also, Yusef Nurkic is going to be a free agent as well. Not sure what they want to do with him. Is he going to be the same player on the other side of the major injuries that he suffered over a year ago? I don't know, but to me it just seems like there's so much uncertainty with so many key pieces out there in Portland – it would be enough for the front office, which is underwent its own overhaul over the last calendar year. It would be enough for them looking at it first blush to make the decision to move off of Dame and try to get young assets uh, and continue to try to develop this team. Because you're not going to – it doesn't feel like they're poised to do any high-level winning over the course of the next two or three seasons. So you're really building for after that. And to me, that means you want to acquire more assets, you want to acquire more draft picks, and see if you can find some young cornerstones – 
that can be around for the long haul. I just rebuilding's never guaranteed. I mean, I just uh, to me, I just feel like that's such a, a silly way out. For t- like, we've never seen that proven to work in a timely fashion, which is what Portland wants to do. Like, there's a reason they want to build around Damian Lillard. They feel like he can be that Giannis Antetokounmpo guy that you can build around and utilize his skill set and create that depth, as you were talking about, Kianti. Like to just like trade him away, this guy that is loyal to a fault and truly embodies that city. Like we were t- and not to cross lines here, but like in talking about Ben Roethlisberger retiring like there are a few athletes that really feel like they represent a city right like Big Ben did that for Pittsburgh like you could mm-hmm. say Favre kind of did that for Green Bay not Rogers but Favre definitely did that for you for Green Bay in like when Jordan played for the Bulls he felt like Chicago at the time not so much anymore but like now I feel like Dame feels like Portland like there's no you know like it feels like that's his home and he's loyal to a fault there and so it'd be silly in my opinion to get rid of him if you can tr- at least try you don't have to be Golden State you don't have to be the Grizzlies but the Grizzlies are proof where if you just go out and you get a good draft pick, you can change the whole trajectory of a team. Like, as long as you can get into that play-in tournament or at least get through one round of the playoffs, now that's not going to satisfy Damian Lillard, but at least it'd be an upgrade in terms of Portland. Well, I will say this. I mean, the Grizzlies had the number two overall pick, and it ended up being Ja Morant, who is a transcendent talent and may very well be the best player in that draft class with Zion Williamson. So I think that's a different territory altogether, but I think that's why – that draft pick that they got from the Pelicans is going to be so valuable because it is top four protected. You're talking about that pick being able to land anywhere between number five and number 14. And if it's anything after that, it conveys to future years. So, I mean, that can end up being a really valuable piece in what you're trying to do. But that draft pick isn't going to translate into a player that's going to instantly, more than likely instantly, help you and Damian Lillard become – a contender in the Western Conference. I just don't see that 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 them having that level of fortune. Now, can you use that as an asset to try to put together a package to bring over another all NBA caliber player? Sure, but I, I just don't know who that player ends up being. So again, there's a lot of uncertainty no matter which path the Portland Trailblazers go down. But in the interim, you're talking about Damian Lillard becoming an aging star. And at some point, Portland's going to realize the value of the asset in Damian Lillard is going to be diminishing. And you got to think about where you're at as a franchise and what could potentially be on the other side of Damian Lillard's prime. It could be scary hours for you if you don't make a deal right now and bring over some pieces that you could potentially use for a longer-term rebuild. Like, but I, I know I was talking against you, Canty, but in terms of just like his age, Damian Lillard's uh, 33, they're turning 33, is 33-something around there. Like Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Wade... Uh, the Miami Heat let him walk and leave as a free agent at 34. Like, mm-hmm. MJ had six rings around that age, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just, like, in inter- I-, I hate to be that person to bring that up, but it's just the reality of the situation. Like, not everyone's Tom Brady, you know? No, no, especially not. And when you start talking about having core muscle injuries, that's not something that's easy to get past, no matter what sport you're yeah. playing in, Shay. So, again, tough decisions for the Portland Trailblazers, but they're clearly not sitting on their hands. They're trying to make moves. They're trying to get things done, and it just feels like that's going to be tough for them, but we'll see what actually happens. Now, we got the Super Bowl coming up this week, and no doubt that's going to be a, a hot ticket, but guess what? With the safe return of live events, you can actually be there to catch all the action in person with Vivid Seats. Every alley-oop slam, every one-timer, and every sideline grab can be experienced live, and with Vivid Seats rewards, you can earn rewards like free tickets. All you have to do is collect stamps, redeem, and repeat. It's that easy. From upper level to courtside, Vivid Seats has you covered for all the events that matter to you. So grab your tickets today and cheer on your favorite team 
from the stands. Visit visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, Shay, we talked about the other Woj bombs that happened today. We got to get into this. The Indiana Pacers and the Sacramento Kings making some magic happen. The Kings are trading for all-star forward Domitas Sabonis, among other players, and Sacramento in a package sending back Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heal. This is a big-time deal. Of course, the Pacers included Jeremy Lamb, Jeremy Lamb Justin Holiday in a 2027 second round pick, and Tristan Thompson is a throw-in for the Sacramento Kings in order to make the money work. So this is another big deal ahead of the trade deadline. Of course, we know deadlines make deals. Trade deadline is a little less than 48 hours away right now, and so this is another one of those huge blockbuster moves. But what does this mean for the Sacramento Kings? Because I feel like this is this is a trade that involved a point guard, but not necessarily the point guard everybody thought was going to be on the move. Really? Because I feel like I, uh, Buddy Heald was always going to be on the move, Like uh, in my opinion. I oh, no, was... I meant Buddy, Buddy Heald was going to be on the move. I, I thought it was going to be De'Aaron Fox and not Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Maybe I'm Halliburton. not clear. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, get, I mean, the Kings, this was inevitable. I felt like they were going to blow up what was going on there anyways. And in terms of the Pacers, what does that mean for them going forward? Like, they get an upgrade a- as well. But this wasn't really surprising to me. What's more surprising to me is these Woj bombs are going to continue to come in, right? And, like, right right around the all-star break here is where we really find out who these teams are and who they're going to be in the second half. And to me, this is just what the, what the King was inevitable for the Kings as well. Like, I feel like that's my word of the day here, inevitable. Like, they were going to trade away some of these assets because, again, the Sacramento Kings feel like they're pushing the reset button. And we talk about rebuilding. Like, this is a team that just can't seem to figure it out. And so sending guys like DeMontis Sabonis and Buddy Heald away, like, it's unfortunate for them because th- those were the guys that were representing the core of their roster. Yeah, and here's the thing. The Pacers get a $6 million trade exception on their salary cap, so they get some relief in that way, create some cap room. So we'll see what they end up using that for. But a a part of what they're doing is reshaping their roster as well. I mean, they traded Karis LeVert earlier this week, and so now this is another subsequent move. And you're starting to see around the trade deadline the last couple of years teams being more aggressive because – we do have this play-in tournament between the 7 through 10 seeds yeah. in each respective conference. And so teams are much more aggressive about trying to position themselves to get into the play-in tournament because they do see some value in terms of being able to develop young players and get them a taste of postseason action. So I think this is an interesting trade. I would have to say if you're Sacramento, being able to pair De'Aaron Fox with another all-star caliber player is never a bad way to go. But now you're talking about your backcourt, which which really had two players that people felt really good about in Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox now being buoyed by Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox. And so I'm interested to see how that combination works along with adding a piece like Domitas Sabonis. But again, another huge, huge Woj bomb, another huge trade in the NBA and if I'm grading it on his face, I'd have to say the Kings got the better of this deal. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, it's interesting, too. You brought up Karis LeVert earlier today, who's on his way. And it feels like Karis LeVert now, who was 
in that conversation or in that trade deal with James Harden. Now is Karis LeVert, who's going to the Cavs, in a better situation than James Harden is with all the speculation leading up to the trade deadline in the NBA. Is he now in a better position to win a chip when he was involved in the whole trade (laughs) with James Harden than James Harden is in Brooklyn at the moment? Like, that's what it feels like to me at this point. Like, when I heard that trade go down, I'm like, Good for Karis LeVert, getting the better end of the stick in this situation. And not to mention when Karis was initially traded to the Indiana Pacers, when they did the physical, they found the ailment that he was dealing with, and they were like they, they were able to get him treatment, mm-hmm. a life-saving treatment. Yeah. So, I mean, right. that, was, that was a big deal. And so now he's going to the Cleveland Cavs, which is a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't think anybody expected Cleveland to be there. I don't think anybody expects Cleveland to stay there when it comes to season's end, but you're talking about certainly a, a top half of the Eastern Conference team, a team that will be in the playoffs, and they're not going to have to worry about the play-in tournament, and a team that has two pieces from that Nets roster from a couple of years ago yeah. that was in the postseason in Karras and in Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. So I really, like what, yeah. I really like what general manager Kobe Altman has done with the Cleveland Cavs. Like, I mean, he's one of those people that don't get enough credit in terms of front office executives for being able to reshape that Cleveland roster on the fly. Yeah, I mean, and they're getting the best out of their players. Like, Jared Allen's having a career year this year in Cleveland. They haven't been this good since some guy named LeBron James was there in Cleveland. Like, he does it on the inside. He does it on the outside. He's a great rim protector. Like, I've been so impressed with Jared Allen, who, in my opinion, was completely snubbed from the All-Star game. But anyways, I digress. But it's just that roster now, the way it's constructed and the the moves you made, I agree with you in terms of the way they put things together quietly under the radar – Really, I I know you don't believe in the Cavs like later on in the postseason. Hey, I think that they are sneaky, sneaky good. Sneaky good. Sneaky good, but I don't know if they're going to run up on teams like Milwaukee, like the Miami Heat. I I just – I don't know, for whatever hey, reason. Hey, the East, anybody can be beat. In the East, it feels like it's anyone's game to lose, in really, my opinion. I feel, like, I feel like we're being really disrespectful to the reigning defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. That's hey? what we've been. We've been disrespectful for the Bucks from the minute they won the chip. Hello, we were talking about who was going to win the next year, and it was going to be the Brooklyn Nets. No one gave the Bucks the benefit of the doubt to go repeat. Like, that's what we are. We're disrespectful to the Bucks. That's what happens every single year, poor Giannis. Yeah, no doubt about it. And when you look at the odds on Caesar Sportsbook, you're not talking about the Bucks being exactly. the top three teams in terms of the odds to win the NBA title this year. That belongs to the Brooklyn Nets. I want to say the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns are right there as well. So, Yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of shade toward Giannis and company, but the only reason I was shading the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago is because they had never had postseason success. They always put together these awesome regular season records, awesome statistics, Giannis holding up other MVP trophies back-to-back, but then they fall flat on their face once they get to the playoffs. But the fact that they were able to go on the run last year and now they understand what championship DNA is all about, I have a hard time being dismissive of the Milwaukee Bucks, even with what some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference are doing. I don't care that they're they're the second seed in the East behind the Miami Heat. I still think they're the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. I think anybody else is suspect. Anybody else can get got but not the Milwaukee Bucks. I just don't see it. All right, you die on that sword because I feel like anyone can get got in these. <laughs> All right, Nets Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, will James Harden be traded before the deadline? We have one NBA insider that seems to think that that's possible. We'll tell you who that is. This is ESPN Radio. Chris Canny, Shea Pepler, Cornette, coming back right after this. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio E+, Shea Cornette, Chris Canny. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. And, Shea, 
We got word earlier today that James Harden will miss his third straight game as the Brooklyn Nets are set to host the Boston Celtics tonight at the Barclays Center. And, of course, that means that the Brooklyn Nets will be without Kyrie Irving as well due to the vaccine mandate in the New York City area. And so this is always going to add speculation, fuel to the fire around the potential trade of James Harden before the deadline at 3 p.m. on Thursday. And our very own Brian Windhorst had something to say when it came to the trade rumors surrounding James Harden, especially as they're attached to the embattled superstar down in Philly and Ben Simmons. Here's Brian Windhorst. I'm going to tell you, everything you hear, like like if you hear, this is just a, a hypothetical, but if you hear today, for example, that Philadelphia might have a trade going with Tobias Harris somewhere else, the first thing I want you to think about is that that's a negotiation. Everything that you hear from these two sides, whether it's leaks, whether it's stuff that they say on the record, is a negotiation. And it's not just a negotiation for Thursday, because whether they get this deal done Thursday or not, it's also a negotiation for this summer mm-hmm. because Harden can be a free agent this summer and he can, we can go right back into this again. And what gets said and done now could affect that, that time too. So, Shay, when I hear that clip from Wendy, the first thing I think of is it seems like it's a fait accompli that James Harden is going to play for the Philadelphia 76ers at some point this calendar year. Now, whether it happens after the trade deadline on Thursday or whether it happens later on this summer – James Harden is going to be headed down to Philly one way or the other. That's what it sounds like to me, and that everything coming from the two organizations is just posturing in order to create the best possible deal. Yeah, which is what I kind of thought from the beginning, Canty. Like, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. Like, turning down the rumors prior to a game, him sitting out now his third straight game tonight, as you mentioned. Like, obviously, this is this is something here, and it sounds like both sides are going to take this all the way to the wire. I believe it's 3 p.m. Eastern is when the trade deadline ends in the NBA, and it sounds like it's going to go right up against that. I just, like, James Harden sitting out another game. They're playing the Celtics, who are tied in the standings, I believe 7-8 and eight in the standings. Like, they're towards the bottom. The Nets just keep sliding, and the more games he sits out, the worse off it is for this team. And I get, like, he's unhappy, because this is, let's just call it what it is, this is the worst case scenario for the Brooklyn Nets. You've got an injured Durant, you've got a part-time Kyrie Irving, and you have a disgruntled James Harden who is pouting essentially because he's not getting what he wants which is a full-time Kyrie and a healthy Kevin Durant and everyone building chemistry what they couldn't do a year ago, therefore why they couldn't win a chip. And so now we have uh, James Harden pouting yet again. It feels like a similar kind of path that he had when he was with uh, with Houston there with the Rockets. Same kind of stuff. Sitting out of games, not being locked in, not being motivated and, and I hate it. Like I, I I hate this. I get you're unhappy, bro. Like I understand. But there are things in life that you can't always control. You can't control the stance that Kyrie Irving has taken. This is what he wants to do. And while it's probably upsetting and it doesn't feel like it's a it's a team thing, it's not. I, I get it. But perhaps that mask mandate is lift or that vaccine mandate is lifted in New York and you guys can be on the floor. Like he's still a very good player and Kevin Durant will come back this year. Like this sitting out of games and pouting, unless he is going to be traded, which you're right, Canty, it does feel like that's so much more so now again because of this third game sitting out situation and all the rumors that are coming along with it. Like unless he truly is going to be traded and that's why he should sit so they don't risk any further injury, this has got like the pouting, I'm over with James Harden. I I I have it's like I have Rogers fatigue with all the drama. I have now. I have James Harden fatigue. I'm done with it. No, and I can understand why you would take that position because it seems like James Harden is executing the same game plan that allowed him to get out of Houston. It exactly. seems like that's that's what he's using for his exit strategy in Brooklyn. But 
at the same time, I understand his frustration because of the inconsistency and Kyrie Irving being unreliable. And it just doesn't start with the vaccine mandate. Shay, this goes back to last year when Kyrie Irving went AWOL from the team and was missing for a couple of weeks and nobody could get in touch with him. And then you see videos of him surfacing at a birthday party for his sister and for his dad. And then he had the situation where he made an appearance on the Zoom for a a district attorney candidate uh, for New York. So he had time for all of these other things except for the main thing, which is the Brooklyn Nets competing at the highest level possible, establishing that rapport, that chemistry, so they could gear up for a postseason run. And then seeing how Kyrie's absence impacted the workload that James Harden and Kevin Durant tried to share, and then having to deal with the subsequent injuries. And now it seems like you're heading down that path this year for different reasons. We're a year into this version of the Brooklyn Nets with the big three, and you're talking about them only playing 16 total games together. That's a problem. And so if you're James Harden, yeah, you can't control what Kyrie Irving does, but you can damn sure control what you do. And seeing as how Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both already have championship rings, if you're James Harden, you're saying, what do I have to do? How do I have to position myself to have the best chance to be able to get a ring? And I'm starting to think that based on what we're seeing from him, the frustration in the postgame press conferences, and now with him sitting out, I'm starting to think he, th- he believes that that's elsewhere. There's a reason why he didn't sign that contract extension that the Brooklyn Nets offered him at the beginning of this season, and I believe it's because he didn't fully trust what he was going to get from Kyrie Irving, and I think Kyrie stands with the vaccine, and then the things that Kyrie did last season is his justification for that. So I don't necessarily agree with the methodology from James. I didn't agree with what we saw at the end of his tenure in Houston, but I can understand his frustration because there's no way that you can reconcile Kyrie doing everything that he can to help his team compete at a championship level and not being vaccinated when they play in a city that has a vaccine mandate. I get it, but you're taking out your frustrations with Kyrie on the entire organization by not playing. Yeah, it's a lot on you, but guess what, bro? You're one of a big three, and when one of the big three is not there, it's going to rely on the big two. Like, you got to deal with it. I I just don't think this methodology of sitting on a game, pouting, being angry in post-game press conferences, being dismissive of things, this isn't the way to go. And, like, we're seeing now it bubble over into other effects. Like, Kevin Durant's now taking to social media to let out his frustrations, which I know he's done in the past, and this is, like, something that he does. But it's Mm -hmm. unraveling at the seams there in Brooklyn. And I think when you say we're one year into this, like, it's almost jarring. We're not talking about five years here. Like, we're talking about one year into this thing. Also, the Brooklyn Nets don't have a first-round pick. I believe it's 2026, 2027, somewhere around there. It is a long time before they can start going back to the well into the draft and figure things this thing out. They mortgage their future for these three guys in the biggest way possible. And so for James Harden to just be like, yeah, I don't really agree with what's going on with Kyrie. He's not really making my life easier. And like, I'm here to ring chase. I'm going to chase it somewhere else. I just don't think that's fair to the organization at all. And I don't think it's professional either. Like he's got a job to do while he's there. Well, here's what Brian Windhorst had to say on Barton Hahn earlier today about James Harden's strategy when it comes to trying to find his way out of Brooklyn. James Harden is negotiating, too. He was negotiating by not playing these last few games. He was negotiating that game in, in Sacramento last week where the Nets had lost five in a row and really needed to win that game. You're playing against Sacramento on a five-game losing streak. You've got to win. And, and, and Durant isn't out, so you need to show up if you're, if you're Harden. And I just want to put something in perspective. Until he pulled his hamstring in that game at the end of last season and had to come out like in the first quarter, 
he had scored in double figures in 450 consecutive games, okay? A decade worth of games, double figures. The streak is back up to 44 until last week, and he had a four-point showing in 37 minutes of the game in Sacramento. He might as well have worn a sign around his neck that said, trade me. That was a negotiation. Couldn't agree more with what Brian Windhorse is saying. I mean, it's clear as day what's happening. That's what that's what I mean, Canty. Like, in the beginning when we were starting to hear some of these rumors, like James Harden's unhappy, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you start seeing things like this, a four-point game, sitting out his third straight game, okay, the hamstring tightness I could do without. Like, all these – now I'm like – What's going on here, bro? We're literally seeing a carbon copy of what happened in Houston, and it feels bratty to me. It just does. It doesn't feel like a franchise sort of thing, a team sort of thing, and he's exactly mad at that whole thing with Kyrie Irving that he's not making this about the team. He's doing the same thing. Well, here's the thing. Kyrie Irving put himself above the team before James Harden did, and I think that's probably how Harden is looking at it because the Brooklyn Nets said at the beginning of the season they had no room for a part-time player. Halfway through the season when you're talking about KD and James Harden being in the top five in terms of minutes played in the NBA, Mm -hmm. the Brooklyn Nets decided to pivot off of that position and allow Kyrie Irving to get exactly what he wants. And so now James is saying, okay, you did that for one of the big three. Now it's my turn to get exactly what I want, and what I want is out because I don't believe that this this version of the Brooklyn Nets with KD and Kyrie has the championship pedigree that it takes in order to win a ring. I just don't think that that's how James Harden is viewing the situation. And so it's a matter of when, not if, James Harden ends up going to the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you're Brooklyn, you're probably saying you're getting the most value if you deal him now as opposed to waiting to yeah. this summer in order to trade him because a team is not only going to get James Harden for – the 2022-2023 season, but you do have the benefit of the rest of this regular season along with the postseason run, and to me that represents tremendous value. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you're going to trade him, trade him now. I don't uh, think it's in their best interest to trade him to someone in the East like Philadelphia who you're going to be directly competing against in the playoffs. But, hey, if that's where you can get your most value and then you rely on who I think is the best player in the entire league and, and Kevin Durant – then more power to you. But I, for him being so mad at what Kyrie Irving's doing, he's doing the same thing and putting this franchise, and quite frankly, his friend, I think, Kevin Durant, in a situation that he's going to have to crawl out of after the All-Star break. Feels unfair to me. Yeah, I hear you on that. And we'll have more on this with the undefeated senior NBA writer Mark J. Spears, who will join the show at 4 p.m. to discuss the James Harden rumors. But coming up next, which was the best NFL head coaching hire this cycle? We'll get into that. Shea Cornette, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio, back after this. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio on the ESPN app and ESPN Plus. Shea Cornette and Chris Canty. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on Twitter, at Shea Pepler, at Chris Canty 99 And Shea, in the last 24 hours, we saw the last three coaching vacancies get filled with the New Orleans Saints elevating their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, to head coach. Of course, the Houston Texans following suit, elevating their defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith, to head coach. And then... The Minnesota Vikings primed to hire Rams offensive coordinator Kevin Mm O'Connell after they finish up with the Super Bowl. That is going to be happening. That was tweeted out by Adam Schefter yesterday. So the nine NFL coaching vacancies have been filled. The other six jobs, Matt Eberflus, the former defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, now the new head coach of the Chicago Bears. Nathaniel Hackett, OC from the Green Bay Packers, now with the Denver Broncos. Brian Dayball, offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, now the head coach of the New York Giants. Josh McDaniels, OC 
from the New England Patriots, now the head coach of the Vegas Raiders. Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning head coach from the Philadelphia Eagles, sat out a couple years. Now he's the head man down there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then, of course, offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel, not to be confused with Josh McDaniels, Mike McDaniel, who's now the head man with the Miami Dolphins. So of all the coaching hires, which one stands out to you as the best hire this cycle? Yeah, so, and Candy, you and I obviously talked about this earlier, and I feel like we're on the same page here with this one. Um, To me, it's Doug Peterson. I actually said when the Bears um, let go of Matt Nagy and were looking for a new head coach, I wanted Doug Peterson in Chicago just because he has proved to be a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer. I mean, he won a... Uh, Super Bowl with Nick Foles, okay? So in terms of what he's done at the quarterback position and evolutionizing an offense that has a solid run game and has, you know, trick plays and all of these things, I felt like Doug Peterson, who also is a proven entity, right, as a head coach, where a lot of these guys are first-time head coaches, they're they're offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, whatever it may be, um, I just felt like that was – going to be the surefire situation and so for me I would lean toward Doug Peterson in Jacksonville not only that and look I know what that division is where Jacksonville is but Jacksonville if they can figure out a way to get Trevor Lawrence along and have him get some protection and some consistency on the offensive side of the ball you get Travis Etienne back a back that's familiar with the quarterback and Trevor Lawrence but if they can go out in the draft or in free agency or whatever it is and they can get some run stoppers uh, on the defensive side of the ball because you're going up against guys like Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry two times a year. If they can figure out how to slow down the run, like this is something that the Ravens did, right? Like when the Ravens got stomped on by the Titans in the playoffs, what did they do? They went out and they bolstered their run defense, and then they mm-hmm. were able to take care of that in the playoffs. Lamar Jackson got his W in the playoffs. They took care of actually the Tennessee Titans because of the reason that they bolstered that. So if Jacksonville can kind of put together that situation with a capable head coach who will create some consistency and hopefully develop Trevor Lawrence, I want to read you some of these numbers because I dug a little bit further the other day in terms of what he did in Philadelphia for Carson Wentz because, you know, he had an MVP season when he was there. Like the first year, whatever, 2016 when he officially officially arrived, like – Wentz was not so great, but the way he moved up, fifth in QBR, sixth in touchdown interception rate, and then second in red zone completion percentage, ahead of guys like Breeze and Brady at the time and Russ and Dak, was really impressive. And now if you look at what Trevor Lawrence is in terms of where he ranked last year, QBR, he's 28th, touchdown interception, he's 29th, red zone completion percentage, he's 29th, he stunk, he was bad, he was terrible, and he had problems turning the ball over. So if Doug Peterson can come in and at least, at the very least, make Trevor Lawrence better and make that defense a little more sound in terms of their run defense, hey, they might they can really only go up at this point, correct? I mean, Doug no. Peterson at least has got a glass half full in, in his back pocket. No, I'm absolutely with you, and I love the Doug Peterson hire down in Jacksonville, although I don't necessarily know if I like the way that they got there because it seemed like Byron Leftwich was the front runner for that job, yeah, and because he didn't want to work with Trent Bulky, yeah, Byron Leftwich ended up not being the guy, so I'm not necessarily on board with moving off of the guy that you prioritize as your number one target, moving off of him because you want to keep Trent Bulky around, where Trent Bulky has been the central figure when it comes to the dysfunction in in two organizations in the National Football League. Yep. Of course, what happened with Jim Harbaugh out in San Francisco, and then, of course, the Urban Meyer hire and having his fingerprints all over that one. But Doug Peterson has proven that he can develop a quarterback, and to me that's where it begins and ends because if you get the most out of Trevor Lawrence, you're talking about having a pretty good chance at making a run in that division. If you look around the landscape of the National Football League, division winners usually have the best quarterback. Look at the playoffs this year. That's how it kind of ended up playing out. So it all is about Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville being able to get the most out of him. 
But coming up next, will James Harden be traded before the deadline, and how does C.J. McCollum impact Dame Lillard's value in Portland? We'll talk about that with Mark J. Spears next.